prayer. And, you know, Chris started praying, said, try to move your back around, which I'm familiar with that. Usually you need to kind of test what you're uh, getting healed to make sure it's working. So at first, you know, it started going up to, to my neck, and then my back started feeling better, but my neck was still not, not feeling really there was still a crook in my neck, I guess is how I'd say it. But then, you know, I kept praying and just at some point I just stood up straight. God is just like, touched me so straight. My spine just got really straight. I could tell. And, you know, the pain's completely gone. Thank you. Thank you. It is so good to be here. However, after that announcement, I'm a senior citizen, so I'm not quite sure where, you know, how I fit into the whole piece. But uh, what a wonderful place you guys live, this whole San Diego region, I tell you. Um, however, if, you know, you're down at the bottom. If you come up a little north up to Vancouver, then you'll know what wonderful living is. No. Uh, but uh, why are we here? Well, I would say uh, one of the reasons is because we're such good friends of Mark and Shelley. Uh, we've been friends with them over the years, and they invited us down last year. <clears throat> and uh, then we met these wonderful people, and um, they said, come on back. And so uh, my wife Donna came and was had the honor and privilege of doing a teaching seminar on parenting, and I became the tag-along. <clears throat> And uh, it was it was so good to be here and uh, just in, uh, asked to come and to share some of my heart and some of our activities. And so this morning I'm going to be speaking on pathways to justice. <clears throat> As an individual, I live in the collision of two worlds. As I said, I live uh, in a beautiful place, uh, North Vancouver, more specifically Deep Cove. And if you come into Vancouver, <clears throat> Excuse me. And you go up uh, one of the fjords. Uh, we live in a little settlement there called Deep Cove. Right against our back uh, is the mountains and God's grandeur and his creation. And uh, just two blocks down where, you know, we're on on the ocean. Our feet are in the water. And uh, it's it's one of the most pristine and beautiful places on Earth. And yet I jump on a plane and I find myself in war zones conflict areas <clears throat> we fly to asia and we find ourselves you know right uh on the streets and the villages and the borders of of the trafficking of children which incidentally is is one of the largest black economies of the earth it used to go uh, number one is the trading of illegal weapons number two is the drug trade and number three is trafficking and uh, those two and three have switched and trafficking has become a very global and lucrative uh, um, uh, trade and so uh, I find myself in the, this collision of living in a place of privilege, very much like you guys here in the San Diego area. And, um, you know, we, ha we have the comforts uh, that, that are, I mean, sometimes we may have things difficult, but compared to other parts and arenas of the world, uh, it, it's quite a chasm between the two. And yet, how do you live in, in this conflict of, of, of uh, the haves and the haves not? How do you live in this collision of the two worlds? And um, so sometimes we'll ask the question, how does that all work? And, you know, how does how does God uh, 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 orchestrate things? How do I live there? 
And one of the scriptures that I find most helpful for me is that of the Micah 6-8 mandate. And it asks this question, what does the Lord require of you? And so it doesn't matter if you're here or if you're there, if you're, uh, um, you know, on the beaches of California or you're the battlefront, uh, you know, with the Taliban in Afghanistan. It, does, it doesn't matter. The same mandate is required of each one of us. What does the Lord require of you? It's pretty straight, because at that time he was speaking to a nation that there was tremendous mixture. They said, you know, we're doing this and we're following God. And yet the mixture was that they, they are so entrenched in, in the world in which they live and the gods and, and uh, uh, the lifestyles that this incongruence was something that God needed to speak into. And I do believe that this is the message for America, because so often we get very, very mixed up uh, is, is, you know, where is God? Where are we? How do the two work together? What does the Lord require of you? And then he lays this story out because it's a celestial uh, uh, court case that's going on in, in the book of Micah, chapter six. And and he is speaking to his people. And at the very end, he comes and he says, here's what the Lord requires of you. And, you know, this scripture like he quite well, he says to do justice. To love mercy. And to walk humbly with your God. Now, this is kind of an interesting paradigm that God gives us. And you think that the formula would work. But by and large, I, when I look at the issues of justice, if I look at the church's engagement in issues of justice, justice uh, it's pretty thin out there. Because justice isn't really something that we want to spend a whole lot of time for. Some people will lay their lives on the line and go out and fight for it. But not everybody is out there fighting for it. And yet God says to every one of us to fight justice. In Canada, it's not popular to fight justice, for example, if you come to the abortion issues. Because if you do any form of protest instantly, you have six months of incarceration. No questions asked. It's the fastest way to prison in Canada. And so people back away from the justice messages. And we know that all the time that justice is dealing with dirty work. And so when when uh, we're engaged in, in, in our organizations with issues of trafficking and you walk in the dirty places, you, you walk in the, the dangerous places, you walk in the evil places, it's not an easy place to be. And yet God doesn't just plunk us down in the arenas where we can suddenly fight injustice for this paradigm to work. You actually have to invert it. So we don't start with justice and then move to mercy and then walk humbly with God for this scripture to work in your life, in your community, in, the, in this nation. You invert the paradigm. You start with walking humbly with God. That's where it all begins. And I don't care if this is your own personal life, your married life, your family life, your corporate life, your life in, in, in the nations or, or serving others in charitable activities, whatever it happens to be. You begin in the place of humility. And I really believe that we've so missed this. Because humility actually begins with the situation. What does the Lord require of you? He is speaking, and, and this is a non-negotiable. And it begins with him. And, and if we are people called by his name, he is in the alpha position. 
And the greatest, one of the greatest statements of humility is, is to truly say, God, you are in the alpha position. Let's face it, he, you, he's either in the driver's seat or he's not. And I find so many Christians in trying to live out their lives where you are in the driver's seat and you're trying to get the navigation from your co-partner who is God giving you the navigation and you, you're just trying to head in that direction. And so often we just get it dead wrong that God is Alpha. And if he is Alpha... He is father. If he is father, he is provider. If he is provider, I can live from a place of rest. Where's the problem? If he truly is alpha, he is your protector. You don't have to worry about protecting yourself. He is your provider. And just like Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd. That's the ultimate statement that he is Alpha. That's a statement of humility. God, you're God and I'm not. You're driving this vehicle, I'm not. And if you're the good shepherd, you bring me to this place of protection because that's what shepherds do. And your way as you lay me down in green pastures. The provision is there. I don't have to work and struggle. And the provision is there. I can live out of place of rest. I can enjoy my life. It takes us a long time to get that straight. But that is what humility, walking, I believe, walking humbly with your God. And the moment that any one of us step into that alpha position... God goes, okay, you protect everybody. You make everybody safe. You chase down all these people and projects that you turn them into, and you provide for them. If you take the alpha position, then you're a provider. And so often we just see God sit back and he relaxes and he waits and he watches because he knows that you'll work your can off. And you can't work enough hours. You can't make enough money to provide because there's always something more. And we take that place and it's such a mistake. And a lot of times we just, God arrests us and he said, and, and we just have to come to that place of brokenness. And we just say, God, I'm sorry, I've taken your place. I don't want to play Alpha anymore. It doesn't work. And as we move into the nations, the same mistakes often happens is that we'll view the poor as a problem to solve. We'll, we'll view the broken as somebody to fix. We'll view these difficult situations as something to overcome. And we go out there and so often we, we go in that alpha position that God has never called us into. And so for this paradigm to work, we begin with that place of humility. And we say, okay, Lord, like, like, is there any, and that song they were singing, over the mountains, down into the valley, I will go with you. Let him lead us down into those places. And he'll lead us into the darkness. And we'll discover the mystery of the kingdom that is there. It is so much fun. To me, holy ground is standing and being in, in some of the most difficult places on earth. It's being in these dark, dark places 
And we find ourselves in a lot of them, as they say. We work in, in, in war zones, some of the most difficult places, trafficking areas, Khmer Rouge villages where mass killings have taken place, the slums of some of these cities that are so dangerous. And there are people there and places there that is truly holy ground. And you're hushed and you don't have anything to say. What do you say to a girl who's been in a brothel and she's 14, 15 years old? She does 20 tricks a day. How do you fix her? Do you just walk in there and give them your little, little speech? Like what, what, do you, what do you do? You just move in there in hushed silence. You're sitting with a girl who, who's dying of HIV. What do you say to them? You move in just this sweet humility that God gives us. And it begins there. You know, walk humbly with the Lord your God. And as you do that, he opens up the door to mercy. Because what comes with his heart is, is a heart of loving and caring. And, and everything about mercy is, I mean, goodness, mercy and justice or righteousness and justice are the foundations of his throne. That's where absolutely we begin. It's in that place of where where he opens our eyes to see our neighbors. It begins in those places of where we can we can just extend his love and his compassion. And there's some ways that we can just step into the other people's world and bring some help. I watched that happen right here this morning is right here. That was just a a gracious, sweet act of, of just love and kindness. Just praying for somebody. Just listening to somebody. You weren't here to fix any one of them. Just have that tenderness and you invited him in that place. And it's God, it's Abba who comes down and he, and he touches. It's, it's a sweet act. And so God opens the door for us to begin to move into, into mercy. To begin to love mercy. And so often, you know, we're, we're freaked out by mercy because of what triggers it brings from our past worlds and our past lives. Our fear of poverty, our fear of, of going into those places of dysfunction. And so we retreat from mercy and we, we, we will go into the American way and retreat into these places where I'm uncontaminated. You can find out that God's going to reach into those places pretty quick when I come down to the pathways to justice. But God graciously opens the doors of mercy and mercy deals with the crying person. And God in his nature, he comes as the lamb. He comes and he's there in his sweetness because we're dealing with victims. We're dealing with those who've been violated We're dealing with those who have been abused by power. And when you walk among the broken, there's no room for arrogance. There's absolutely no room for I've got the answer for you. There's no room for, you know, sensational and hyped up speech, even religious language. It does not work. <clears throat> we come in and we are there with the crying person. We come alongside that person. Just like the Lamb of God, he lays down his life 
and we come in gentleness and we come in tenderness and it makes a difference in their lives. What about justice? See, each one of these in this paradigm is the prerequisite to the next step. Humility is the prerequisite to mercy. You don't just parachute in. And I know that a lot of people in the evangelical world, a lot of Christian NGOs like ourselves or whatever, you know, we'll just parachute into these places with all the right answers and with all the right steps. I'm sorry. It's a mistake. We go in with humility. And then God gives us the privilege of walking among the broken and the poor. And a lot of them, the broken, the disadvantaged, the alienated, they don't all have to be poor. They can be immigrants. They can be uh, in executive offices. They could be husbands and wives in the, in, the, in the home. And we're called to walk among them. You begin with humility. And as you begin to walk in mercy, God gives you authority. He strengthens your legs. He gives you wisdom. And it is at that point he'll introduce you into justice. Have you ever noticed that people who try to carry the justice flag and they run out there with their campaigns and with their flags and, and, and you know, with their little taglines and speeches? What good does it do? Is abortion gone? Because of all of our campaigns? Is pornography, has it evaporated? Because of all the hardcore speeches you've received and all the, you know, this and that and the other? Does it all work? Why doesn't it? And very often it's because there's zero authority. People have not strengthened their legs. It doesn't mean that we don't speak against these things. Of course we do. But put it in the right perspective. As you begin to work in mercy, God gives you authority. He begins to develop your perspectives. He begins to help you to understand his ways and why there's not just quick answers to all these problems. Why are they still poor? Why are they still hungry? Why isn't there enough water? And, and etc. And we begin to learn the lessons. All the time knowing that God is Alpha. And somehow... He's got it figured out. And so he wants to introduce us to people because what does the Lord require of you? He wants all three of these functioning in your life. So what's the deal? What's he going to do with justice? The pathways to justice somehow looks like this. Number one, God always begins with an encounter. He is not afraid to throw you into a whole lot of trouble in a big hurry. To allow this to happen. And it happens in lots of ways. But, but for you, it represents a crisis. You, you, you've been confronted with some truth. Maybe you saw it on, on television. Maybe you ran across it on the highway. Maybe you saw it in, in, in a domestic situation. But somehow he arrested your attention. And that is very often the way God begins and he introduces us into just the issues of justice, injustice, the encounter. Think of them in your own life. Sometimes it can be employment or the lack of it. Often it can be your health. It can be finances. It can be somebody that you met. It can be something that happened to you. 
the encounter of the Twin Towers in New York City slammed everybody. Nobody saw it coming. And bang, it was there in front of you. It's an encounter. It's step number one. And it's a necessary step. And sometimes when it happens, the best thing we can ever do is to embrace it. Not to deny it, not to say it didn't happen. And what that will then lead us into is the next step, which is that of advocacy. It's being a voice for what you see. It's being a voice for the voiceless. In our particular case, we want to be a voice for the child who is so overpowered and bullied, abused, neglected. And you become a voice for that and you simply share your story. Intercession is a form of advocacy. We go before the Father and we say, Lord, man, I sure don't understand this, but I, I don't like what I see. It's a great form of advocacy. Just prayer. And a lot of times we don't even believe that it makes that much difference. But it does. Prayer has a lot of drag with God. You need to know that. And then we begin to share it with somebody else. And it becomes like, what can we do? Is there any way that we can, we, we can make a difference in this situation? Because God gave you that encounter for a reason. Think of the good Samaritan, number of people. You know, uh, they, just, they, they had the encounter. They saw it. They just walked by on the other side. It's an option. You can do that. But the one stopped. And he engaged, which is a third step, and that is the step of intervention. You actually do something. God calls you in and he gives you some. And, and, and that's where he always creates. There's no formula for this. There's no books written about this as to what you do. It's kind of like on the spot. And God will give you some insight, some activity. And usually the simpler, the better. And you'll just step into it and you'll actually do something. I love it when school kids go into their classroom, they tell the stories, and they get all their friends to raise, you know, a few bucks for the orphans or something like this. It's beautiful, the kinds of creative things that children do. They're great advocates, and they love to intervene. The youth of today, they got it right. They understand injustice, and they know that they can be a part of doing something. And so intervention simply is you must act and you do something. God says, okay, come with me. I'll lead you down where we can do something. It be, and it's here. And I don't subscribe only to, well, you, know, you, you have to do it here and you start here and start here. God will do it any way he wants. Any time, any place. Go anywhere. And he'll use you. Because you're an extension of his heart and his compassion. So we step into the situation. Why? Because God wants restoration. It's that simple. He wants healing. He wants the poverty, the gap closed between the rich and the poor. He wants to see healthy living. He wants to see emotional health. He wants, it's very, very simple. It's called restoration. Because injustice is about equality or the lack of it. And God is very dead serious about it. And again, back to the mandate, he says, do justice. 
It's an imperative. You have to do it. We can't dodge this. Because God's heart is so truly broken for those situations. And he needs us in, a, in there. And he knows it's a difficult place. He knows it's a dirty place. He knows it's a dangerous place. This spring I was in Cambodia. And uh, uh, our major concern there is the issues of trafficking of, of Cambodian children into, uh, into uh, Thailand. Where from there uh, they go into the whole world. It's a major collection area, and where do the children come from? Most of them, uh, always from situations of, of poverty. And uh, just uh, over the, the Thailand border, and we're located right on the Thailand border, are all these Khmer Rouge villages. And if you know the history of Cambodia, the killing fields, um, they you know, killed uh, a third to a half of their whole population. Youth did it. They killed their own people. The world was not engaged. The world seemed to just let it happen. Nobody intervened. No Americas, no European unions, no United Nations. And the killings under Pol Pot went on. So after the smoke cleared, which was uh, actually a long time, and the uh, Khmer Rouge, uh, they were banished kind of to live along the, the Thai border. And one of the reasons all along there is because... Um, it was one way of getting them out of the way. And this is one of the most heavily uh, landmined location on Earth. And so they live in these very, very dangerous villages. And when we go in there, there's all these little red, you know, these little red signs. And uh, um, basically, it's like, don't step here. And they live there. And so I'm on this occasion traveling with some others in a team. And... Um, uh, two of the members of our team go to the to one of the other borders where people just walk in, back and forth across the border. So the trafficking is just all all uh, um, it just goes on all the time. Everybody walks by. And uh, this one girl, she was, uh, as, as I said, you know, conflict of two worlds. She was raised in Denver. She worked in Hollywood. She worked with movie directors. She was from a wealthy home and had a very, very successful career and had never, ever touched dirt in her life of this nature. And so here she was. She'd come across as a, you know, as a camera person for a documentary. And bang, the encounter begins with this very special friend. And what happens is that, that a, a, a brother, about a, a, a nine-year-old boy, who we call Johnny because we couldn't find out his name, and, and his sister had been trafficked uh, across the border. He had escaped, and he was running back into Cambodia. And, and the police had him and had apprehended him and, and just kind of had him tied in a little room. This happened exactly when they were there with the cameras. And, and so um, they, they were kind of like... Because uh, a lot of times there, there's a lot of shadiness that goes on with, with the officials. And, and uh, so in this particular case, they said to them, do you want this child? Do you want to take this child? Well, imagine, you know, if you'd have been a pedophile or if you'd have been some pervert or something else like that, they just take this child and they hand it over to you. And in this case, he said, yeah, we, we, we will do this. We'll take this person. And, I mean, he had, he had a little number on his back. I remember it's a little number nine that was there. And, um, 
And he'd been trafficking. So they, they took him and, and he just became like a little animal. Like, like uh, brought him to the van and, and he just dove down under, uh, under the seats and he just cowered away. And so this was quite an encounter for our friends who never seen this before, had heard about it. And, of course, you know, I've shared stories and, and, and uh, you know, knew them well. Uh, and um, they were in shock. And a lot of times that's what encounters do. It has high shock value. You know, talk to Paul on the road to Damascus. Talk to, you know, Jonah as he is thrown overboard and a massive fish comes up. I mean, it, it's scary stuff. Rocks your world. And it intends to do so. What do you do? And so their question was like, Lord, what do we do? And it's this gasp for advocacy. How do we step in? What great hunk, you know, like what's going on here? What can we do? We're just foreigners. We just made the mistake of coming up to this border. What do you do? Intervention. You do something. You do something. But started with Johnny in the van. And we have a place there called Safe Haven where we gather children like this, very, very special children from all kinds of hideous situations. And it's called Safe Haven. That's what God loves is Safe Haven. We become a Safe Haven. You, your house becomes a safe house. You become that safe person. Because God has brought that situation together. And this, this child... He very simply, he, he was just, just like an animal. He just cowered. And, and it was so amazing that, that all the other children uh, uh, in, in, in our different homes, they came and they knew exactly what Johnny was going through. They were the ones who brought their clothes. They were the ones who, you know, you know tugged their, their mattress and put it on the floor. And here's a blanket. They were the ones who prepared the way. It was so amazing. They stepped in. Because they'd been the recipients of love and mercy. And um, Johnny goes in there and, and he's so traumatized. He doesn't know if he's being captured again, if he's going to be put back into captivity. And um, so uh, our good friend just is outside the window, just begins to sing, just like you're doing up here. Just started to sing worship songs. And just started to sing in tongues, just, just softly. And bang, he broke, he started to weep. Spirit somehow is doing something. Couldn't even explain it. And over the last few months, and I just saw him maybe a few weeks ago. You know, a lot of uh, aberrant behavior, a lot of violent behavior, a lot of aggression. He would kill the chickens. He'd grab their necks and just wring them. We had to keep him away from the from the the geese and other things like that. He like like it was just uh, like what do you expect? And uh, he would never ever join anybody else, come and talk to anybody else. He'd play peekaboo with everyone. And inside, there's this reorientation that is happening. It's this collision of two worlds again that we so often live with. How does the, the two coexist? And, and they, they kind of fight. They, they wrestle against each other. And this happens in our own lives. This wrestling that goes on because the battle, that's what it's about. And slowly, slowly, the thaw begins to happen. 
is restoration even possible? We began to wonder. And so what do we do again? You know, in the body of Christ, you bring in help. And uh, we hired a full-time, uh, you know, counselor who understood trauma and just started to come to work with them. And it started with a smile. And then it started next with just a bit of laughter. And if you were to see him today, he has the most contagious smile and laughter. He can't talk. Still doesn't talk. Will it come? Yeah, we all believe that God can touch. And to bring his voice back. But see, the end of the story, I can't finish. Because each of our lives is a story that continues to be written. It's another page today, another chapter tomorrow. Another lesson learned along the way. But I want to leave you with this. What does the Lord require of you? Let's turn it around. Let's start with walking humbly with the Lord your God. That means absolutely you must leave him in the alpha position. If you try to overparent him, if you try to overprovide, if you try to take his place and say it's my way, not your way, you're hooped. You put him in the alpha position. He's God. He knows the landscape. He knows what you need. And we keep needing to come back to that place. And out of that place of love and appreciation, he cares about the neighbor. That story, meeting this person, praying for him. That's an amazing story. That's your neighbor. He gives us the privilege of stepping into their lives. And bringing the touch of the Lamb of God. After we've done that for a while, He allows us to step into the tougher stuff. And I've found that that it's quite interesting that now in time, like in this particular city on the border, the mayor and the council, they invited me into their office. And they said, Would you help us develop a master plan for this city? To the year 2030. With all the crap, all the corruption, everything, it's all there. It's mixture. You don't try and push it away. Because campaigns in that sense don't work. We're always trying to push away darkness. Kingdom truth is light will scatter the darkness. Why can't we be content with displacement theory? That if I move into here and show some kindness, that pushes away the lack of kindness. When we step in and we just begin to bring some light and people who love these people, we have full invitation into these Khmer Rouge villages. And, and numbers of those people have killed so many people. They're still alive. They'll never be incarcerated. And they allow us to come in. That's a privilege. What do we do? We bring rice or we'll bring uh, a water well. We'll bring something else like this for their children. We'll bring, you know, mat schools where they can sit on their their mats and learn about trafficking, learn about landmines, learn about Jesus, learn about life skills. You see how it works? When God is alpha, it works. He just lets us kind of move in and flow. 
As time comes, we can affect policy. We can affect, you know, uh, uh, activities at a lot larger level. What does that look like in this particular city? One of the first things we did, I did is I said, why don't we make this rather than a dumpy um, border town where everybody wants to hold their nose and just get on down to see them reap. We planted 600 trees down the main land, 300 down each side. So it's going to look pretty nice in a couple of years. The uh, city hall, they decide what they're going to do is rather than lighting up this whole city with red lights like Padilla or Bangkok or any of these other places where it's like, you know, here's the girls come on in. They made a rule, pass a law that all the brothels, they can't have their lights on on the street. Doesn't sound like much, but it's pretty important. You have to have, have to actually know where they are rather than being attracted to them. And so you go down the streets and, and, and no neon lights, no, no porch lights, no, you know, girls sitting out on, uh, on the front saying, hey, come on in here. Lights are closed. They're off. See, it's little things like this that, that, that displacement looks like. God begins to do his work. I can tell you stories now of, of people who've gone into the brothels and people like you who've come on over. You pay the time, you pay the dime, and you go in there and you sit and you talk to them. And they are low-hanging fruit. They absolutely have never heard of Jesus before. And it's the most amazing thing. They don't want to hear the music. They, they don't want, you know, anything else. And they sit there, you know, for the hour or the quarter, where, how many quarters you put in. And they listen and they're coming to Christ. Then they come on over to one of our centers and they learn, you know, in spa and nails and hair and all these things. And they're like, you know, they're like little kids. Little happy, go lucky, six, eight, ten year old girls. They love it. See, that's the way the kingdom works. God will get his job done. I'm not worried about it. So I leave that with you today. Love mercy, but start with walking humbly with God. Love mercy, do justice. Thank you.